Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. To have a lawful system of immigration that serves the national interest, we cannot admit everyone who would like to come here. I have a love for these people, and hopefully now Congress will be able to help them and do it properly. And I can tell you, in speaking to members of Congress, they want to be able to do something and do it right. I'm hopeful that they can um, come to a resolution that balances compassion uh, and common sense and do it constitutionally. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire of WFIU and WTIU. Those voices you heard were Attorney General Jeff Sessions, President Trump, and Governor Eric Holcomb uh, talking about the, uh, the decision this week on DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program. Um, President Trump uh, said he was going to give uh, Congress six months to fix that program and or to, to um, actually address the issues of immigration before he does away with that program. It's going to affect a lot of people, and we have uh, some folks here in the studio to talk about that today. We have uh, Christine Pop, who's an immigration attorney with Pop and Bowman. William Palomo, who is president of Undocu Hoosiers Bloomington, and Robert Hall, the founder of Grassroots Conservatives in Bloomington. You can join the program at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us uh, to the show's email address is news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, it's been a very uh, lively week since all this began, and I, I want to ask uh, William and Christine both to talk about, um, you know, the decision from your perspectives and, you know, what this is really going to mean for people who have been in this program. Sure. Well, the immediate effect is that as of March 6th, there will be a certain number of people who have been granted DACA who will begin to lose their status. So between now and March 5th, over the next two years, work authorization and DACA benefits will slowly become invalidated. And so what that means for the people who have those statuses is that they will no longer be allowed to be employed, they will potentially lose their driver's licenses, and then they will be at risk of deportation. Mm-hmm. And William, you're, you're with uh, Undocu Hoosiers, so you can express your opinion on that and then also tell us what Undocu Hoosiers is. Um, so Undocu Hoosiers, uh, Bloomington, we're a student group based on IU that helps serve undocumented communities throughout Indiana. We fundraise money for scholarships, advocate for um, undocumented students amongst immig- um, the administration at IU and as well in the community. Um, and as far as how the undocumented communities I'm close to at least are responding, um, it's certainly bad news, but we've known for a long time that President Trump is white supremacist, misogynist, um, and things like that. So the communities are prepared. We've already built good allyship networks throughout um, Black Lives Matter movement with LGBTQ plus groups, and we're definitely prepared um, for come what may the immigration raids that Trump is planning with ICE through mid-September. And as a group, um, we're helping fundraising already. We've already fundraised over $1,000 just within the time of the announcement to help support um, scholarships for DACA candidates who, if they lose you know, the DACA permit and the work permit that comes with that, um, are going to be in a tight situation. So as a community, we're definitely preparing and very much ready to um, help um, our undocumented um, neighbors and friends and family. Mm-hmm. Bob Hall, um, your reaction to the decision this week? Well, uh, let me start out by saying that President Trump is not a white supremacist or a misogynist, but um, President Obama said 22 times before he declared this action that he had no legal authority to do it, and it is illegal and unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So it's up to Congress to pass laws to empower DACA. And they had a chance to do that with the DREAM Act, and they failed to pass it. 
Mm-hmm. So, Christine, I want to ask you, is DACA unconstitutional, and what have the courts said about it? Yes, yeah, so I'm glad to give this opportunity because I feel like there are a lot of sound bites about DACA being illegal or unconstitutional. There's really two, two issues here that to, to look at. First of all, the DACA is an exercise of what we call prosecutorial discretion. Prosecutorial discretion is something that all law enforcement agencies have. They have the ability to determine who to arrest, who to charge, who to convict. And ICE it, it, immigration authorities are also law enforcement agencies, so they also have this right. This states the ability for immigration to have prosecutorial discretion dates back decades. Um, Specific to deferred action, we saw deferred action in 1975 was the first time that INS issued some sort of policy guidance on how to uh, how, how to grant deferred action. And the Supreme Court in 1985 also said that prosecutorial discretion and deferred action were permitted. So there's this long history. It's not new with President Obama. Um, it's, it's been around for a long time. It, it is not unconstitutional by any means. So it, it, I think there's been a lot of debate or discussion about um, whether this should have come through Congress or there, there's more than one way to do this. President Obama chose to do this by, what, administrative order? Is that what, – what would it be called? Executive, executive order. Executive order. Yeah. And uh, so now, you know, what, what President Trump has said and, you know, you heard his soundbite sounded very generous that he <laughs> hopes that Congress and he thinks Congress will pass something similar to this, right? Right. Well, let's talk about what deferred action isn't. It, it didn't create any sort of pathway to permanent residence or citizenship. It didn't change the laws. All it is is a deferral of deportation. It's saying that we are not going to make this group of people a priority. And in fact, there are lots of different deferred actions. It's not something that just was established in 2012. Mm-hmm. So there's still room for Congress to act. But this was definitely not beyond the legal or constitutional powers that, that the president had. Mm-hmm. William, from your standpoint, um, you know, would it be – I know it, it was uh, – it's difficult for, you know, to see the action, which basically says there's going to be an end to this unless, you know, unless something happens. Um, would it be preferable to you to have Congress act and, and actually enact these protections into law? Um, absolutely, it would be preferable um, just to, for the long-term solution and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, there's a lot of ideal situations of more just laws for undocumented communities, for immigrant communities that we can imagine. Um, but um, looking at kind of the history that they've failed to pa- Congress has failed to pass the Dream Act for decades now, um, which leaves a lot of communities in fear that they won't be able to pass it now. Um, and if it was a priority for Congress, they should have they should be taking it up. Um, and it's something that they should have been doing as well. Um, and you certainly don't need to end the DACA program in order to do immigration reform, right? Mm-hmm. So what exactly does DACA grant recipients? You said it's not a path to citizenship. It's not. It doesn't change anything in immigration law. The only thing that it does is it provides people who who have been granted DACA two years of reprieve from deportation and, in that meantime, work authorization. And it is renewable every two years with you have to pay a filing fee and all of those things. But it it doesn't provide any sort of legal status. It's just protection, so to speak, for a, a group of people who fit within very strict eligibility guidelines. So the people who are DACA recipients now are okay until it would come time to renew, presumably, or, or am I incorrect? Presumably, yeah. So that, that's, that's what the memos have said, is that they're not going to automatically revoke or terminate current DACA status unless the person commits a crime or some sort of security risk. So what we're going to see starting March 6th is that um, people who have valid work authorizations is slowly over the next two years will be expiring. Mm-hmm. Um, any people can who currently have DACA, and if that DACA expires before March fifth, they can still apply to renew until October fifth. So there will be people who will continue to have DACA status until 2020. Okay, but no new people can apply. 
beginning. That, that was effective this right. week. That's correct. right. And DACA, DACA status allows people to, to be able to go to school, get a driver's license, work, those kinds of things, correct? Exactly. Okay. So, Bob, what's wrong with DACA? Well, um, they also can pay income tax, but also get tax credits and other benefits, um, food stamps, housing subsidies, um, school, attend school uh, at uh, elementary, high school level. Most of them are not children anymore. Most of them are now adults. They have, the ages are 15 to 36. The average is in the mid-20s. So we're talking about adults now. We're not talking about children. Mm -hmm. But um, like President Obama said, 22 times he didn't have the authority to do this, and he still did it. Mm -hmm. So he was right the first time, the first 22 times. Well, whether or not there was the authority to do it, is it a something that you would support you know, passing it through Congress? Well, I don't know until we see what the law is. If the law ends up being more like the DREAM Act, no, I would not support it. But mm -hmm. let's see what they come up with for the law. But it also has encouraged a lot more illegal immigration. Once he declared that action, we saw a lot more people coming across the southern border from Central America. So it has encouraged illegal immigration, and it's promoting open borders. We need to protect our borders. Christy? Yeah, I, I, there, I just want to respond to a couple of points there. I mean, first of all, yes, the, the uh, many people who have DACA now are adults, but let's not forget that the majority of them came before age seven. So they were brought here as children. Let's not forget that. They grew up here, and they may not have ties to their home country. There are a few other points. Um, DACA's do not get public benefits. Most immigrants do not get public benefits. You have to have a green card for up to five years before you begin to be eligible for public benefits, and DACA's are not people who have green cards. It also did not encourage illegal immigration. There was, around the same time, a surge of people coming from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, young people. But studies have shown that they were fleeing violence. It had nothing to do with DACA because you had to be here in 2007 in order to take advantage of DACA. 40,000 of the, of the DACA people have, re have received the green cards. So they have been receiving green cards. Yes, mm -hmm. but they get it through a legal, a, a legal way of getting a green card. They're not getting it because they have DACA. They're getting it because they qualify in some other way. The whole point that people who are against DACA are arguing against is they're saying they should have, they should get in line and do it legally. So those 40,000 people did just that. I guess, Bob, do you think there should be some sort of path where these people can, can legally work and can move to get a green card? And what, what would your solution be? Follow the current immigration laws. Go back to their country and apply just like everybody else does. Because the problem we have is we have a lot of people in that age group, 15 to 36, that are unemployed. There's 5 million people unemployed. We have 50 million people in that age group that are not in the workforce. Those people are not able to get jobs because these people are taking the jobs. Christy? Well, I, th I think there's a lot of studies that have shown that that sort of line of logic is completely false. Um, there's nothing that says that just because there are people who are in jobs that it prevents other people from getting jobs. In fact, it, it, when somebody has a good job, they put more money into the economy, and that also grows additional work opportunities. When women entered the workforce in the 1970s, we didn't see work dry up. You know, more work, more employment is created. So there's been no study that has shown that people who have DACA are taking jobs from other people. In fact, people with DACA are doing very well and are contributing taxes and Social Security and Medicare and all sorts of other benefits to our economy. Um, let me off offer our phone numbers again in case people want to join our conversation here, 812-855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us questions at news at indianapublicmedia.org and follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Bob, did you want to follow Yes, we, we should give employment priority to American citizens. We should be giving, we should be, the, the real dreamers are these Americans between the ages of 15 and 36 that are unemployed because they're not able to get jobs. And also, we should be giving more priority 
to our black community, black young people who are unemployment is in the 20% range. So we, we need to take care of our American citizens first. We have some data here just from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy that estimates roughly 87% of current recipients are employed, earning on average 8.5% more than those eligible, eligible immigrants who are not receiving protection benefits. And also it just says 6 million jobs remain unfilled in the U.S., um, a record high despite DACA recipients being employed. Just wanted to add yeah. that. I mean, let's keep in mind that the DACA beneficiaries grew up in the United States, right? They went to our public schools. They're, they have had the same educational benefits as native-born American citizens. They are, for all intents and purposes, Americans except for a piece of paper. So, of course, they're going to have good jobs. And, and that's what it, studies have shown is that when someone gets DACA benefits, they end up getting a better job, getting a better paying job, and then turning around and putting that money into supporting their family and supporting our economy. So it is really to our benefit, not to our disadvantage, to have individuals out of the shadows and with work authorization. And I also want to emphasize the point that DACA workers are not eligible for Obamacare subsidies, Medicaid, food stamps, or cash assistance. And at the same time, DACA workers and their employers have contributed billions of dollars to the Social Security system through payroll taxes, and that means that ending DACA could cost the federal government $19.9 billion in Social Security revenue over the 10 years, according to the Immigrant Legal Resource Center. We have a phone call already, so let's go to Liren in Bloomington. Liren? Hi. Hi. Go ahead. So I don't really have much of a question. I just wanted to say, because I don't think the point really had been made yet, uh, there's so many people talking about how immigrants need to go through the legal channels, go get in line, do all this. Well, that, that is incredibly expensive. And I just wanted to point that out because my husband is an immigrant. He actually immigrated from Europe, so we had a lot more easy a time than I'm sure you know, our lawyers told us. If he had he been from South America, we would have waited an extra maybe two years. But we spent thousands of dollars and years, even after we were married, you know, waiting for his green card and thinking, oh, you know, ICE could come and deport him at any time, even though that we were fully, uh, we, we were fully, we had all of our papers in order and everything. It's still a harrowing experience. And had we not had the funds and the support we did, you know, I'm, I'm sure this would have helped benefit our family, too. Um and I just wanted people to understand that it could be a very difficult thing for a lot of these people to go through. There's definitely a human issue we have to keep in mind. All right. Uh, Christine, do you want to comment on that? Because you're well aware of the, the path to citizenship. Yeah, definitely. There, well, there's definitely not one path mm -hmm. to citizenship. I think we should start with that. There's not one line. Uh, Im the immigration law allows people to become permanent residents here inside the United States or abroad, so it's not as if if you're here you have to leave the country to get in line to come back. That's not how the, the, the law works. The fact is that most people have DACA and continue to renew their DACA because there is no other option within our immigration system. But for those people who do have options such as through a family member, a citizen family member, a spouse, a parent, a child, or a sibling who can petition for them, they are taking advantage of those opportunities. But the caller is right that in some categories of family relationships, it is a long time to get status. Um, for certain, say, siblings of citizens, you're looking at, it could be, if you're from Mexico, a 25-year wait in order to get your legal status. Uh, if, if you're a sibling from another country, it could be about a 13-year wait. So these are long periods of time that people would have to be separated from their families. Mm -hmm. I also want to point out that there's a lot of American citizens with undocumented parents. So American citizens, people that were born here who are going through our public school system, essentially American, whose parents don't have a way to, legal, um, to legally become citizens too. So when we're talking about advocating for American citizens, making sure um, that their families are safe, making sure that they have jobs too, like you've been advocating, like there's undocumented people connected to those American citizens as well. That's an interesting point because there was a, a podcast we were listening to um, from the New York Times talking about how if, if you do away with DACA, the impact that could have on families because if that if that child is the one who has a driver's license and is able to drive the rest of the family to where they need to go, those kind of implications. There's also like 
there's immigration raids that are being planned for mid-September. And one thing that United We Dream has been emphasizing that ending DACA is essentially planning for mass deportation. These immigration raids, 70% of the people they pick up aren't the criminals that they've been targeting, but just collateral. So if a DACA recipient is in the room while somebody else is being attacked during this raid, they can very much well be um, deported as well. And that's a phenomenon we've been seeing nationwide as well. But the deportation, that's not the priority on deportation. They're going after criminals first, recent recent entries second, visa overstays third. So DACA but people are the lowest are priority. They're not, they're not the focus of deportation. Well, I, yeah, I, I want to ask, Bob, um, so a lot of the issues and, and things that you've heard people from both political parties talk about is how they want um, a, a, a good – decision that's not going to punish the people who've been going through DACA. And we've talked about several scenarios here. I mean, the one is that a lot of the people who are in that age group were brought here as children. They've known no other place but the United States. We would be sending them back. The other is people who um, came here as children and now are adults, have children of their own who are U.S. citizens. Um, And, uh, you know, so can you give me a a sense of what, you know, how to – how would you go forward with this, um, you know, the, the things you've heard from different politicians, different people in Congress? How would you go forward to this to try to mitigate damages that could be caused to people who, through no fault of their own, they were children, they came here, and now they have children of their own? I, I agree with what President Trump is doing. That is the, a, a very um, uh, compassionate way to handle it. Uh, it's a phase in. If he had not done something on September 6th, 10 attorney generals from other states were bringing a case to declare it invalid. And if they had done that, it would have been stopped immediately. So what he's doing is allowing for a transition and allowing for Congress to change the law and let the people who are congressmen and senators come up with legislation based on input from the people. That's the way it should do. We should follow the rule of law. We should not be... Uh, violating the law and, and doing something that's unconstitutional. What what input would you give our congressmen and senators for going forward? Narrow the scope to just the DACA. Don't try to throw everything else into it, which they did with the DREAM Act. Mm-hmm. That would be my suggestion. Okay. Do, we're going to take a short break because we've, we've uh, already – we're – Getting into some deep territory here. We're going to take a short break, and I think we have some people who are waiting to get on uh, who are on the phone. It's an interesting topic and one that brings out some emotions, so we're going to take a break. We'll be back and talk more about DACA and President Trump's decision after this short break. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And we are talking today about DACA with three guests, Robert Hall, founder of the Grassroots Conservatives in Bloomington, William Palomo, who's president of Undocu Hoosiers Bloomington, and Christine Pop, an immigration attorney with Pop and Bowman. If you have questions or comments, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also email us um, at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can even follow us on Twitter 
at Noon Edition. So we're going to go to the phones. Uh, I think waiting the longest has been Bruce. Bruce, thanks for your call. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I think uh, maybe we're missing the big picture here. And my point is that um, people crossing the border, uh, currently the going rate for being smuggled in by a coyote is about $4,000. Uh, I propose a system where they could pay $3,000 to the U.S. government and come in legally. The uh, number one thing is we need to eliminate... And if they did that, say pay $3,000 and came in legally, then they would get all the benefits of any other American worker uh, and not risk anything, uh, you know, background check and everything else. Um, and uh, I wish we could implement something like this. And for the uh, dreamers, et cetera, I think that it would be reasonable that they pay uh, an extra tax to be able to remain in, in uh, the United States uh, without any question. That's it. Okay. We're going to get some reaction to your ideas, Bruce. Who wants to react to that? Well, I, I guess he's definitely welcome to propose that to his representative or senator as one possible immigration reform. I, I just want to point out that um, only uh, of the DACA's, about half came in on legal visas and overstayed, and the other half did cross the border. They didn't pay $4,000, though. You know, they were six or younger to, when they came into the United States. Whether they should pay an extra tax to remain, I'm obviously I'm very against that, but I do want to point out that they have been paying filing fees every two years to renew their DACA applications and the filing fees for immigration are quite expensive it's five hundred dollars each time that they renew and for permanent resident status right now it does cost almost two thousand dollars to get a green card in the u.s just in filing fees so it's it's pretty expensive and that that tax so to speak is already there in place yeah a lot of what bruce is talking about you're saying is already kind of happening yeah exactly okay anybody else have a reaction okay we're going to go on to uh Carmelita is next. I think we're... Am I on the air? Yeah, you are. Go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, That last reaction about the gentleman talking about costing these immigrants to from 4,000 to 3,000 and the whole DACA issue. You know, I'm a First Nation. We're the host nations here. We're talking about 300 plus tribes right here in the United States. And my original thought would have been we should have charged we should have charged every immigrant that crossed that wall beyond three thousand dollars for what we put up with and my other reaction about taking children from a foreign land and then placing them here and then we're talking about whether we should allow them to pay taxes and or license them or educate them the first nations children were here and had been taken from their reservations been placed in foster care foster homes in violation of the Indian Child Welfare Act, hence the lawsuit, the Lakota Law Project in South Dakota, a civil action group filed where children of this nation had been unfortunately misplaced in, in the foreign soil, away from the reservation, a lot similar like these DACA children that never asked to be here and now been placed here as children and brought here, been forced to assimilate to the American Western thinking if they're from other third world countries. But at the same time, they oversight the Native American children that have been taken from their homes, been wrongfully been placed in these foster care Caucasian white homes. I disagree. I disagree with any immigration crossing the wall, and if there's any cost, every immigrant that has crossed those walls should have been charged since Columbus Day, okay, from when Columbus first got here. He didn't discover us. We were here all the time. We're not, not lost or misplaced nations. My outrage and reaction were... A president can break a law 22 times and it being unconstitutional. You do the math. And he's a constitutional lawyer from an Ivy League college. And he can't, tr- he, he's an error when he breaks my constitutional bylaws that in the Commerce Clause, where is my treaty agreement as a First Nation, as the Crow Nation of Montana, he then is allowed, been licensed to break those laws 22, not one, but 22 times about these immigrants and we should have addressed immigration all the time 
and I was against immigration reform entirely because Native Americans don't have a break. And we've been here all the time. And they're still taking our children from our reservations, wrongfully placing them in foster care, Caucasian homes, and, and they have language barriers, culture barriers. And later, it was a Republican president, outgoing President Nixon, that created with a Republican senator the Indian Child Welfare Act to protect the rights of these children to have never been placed in a white home, to lose their language and their culture. So when you say these children were taken from when they were young and brought here against their will, did anyone ask the parents of those children that they want them here? Did anybody do that while a president in the White House is breaking the law 22 times? Did anybody bother to ask that? We're going to have to. We're going, Carmelita. We're going to have to move on. I, I appreciate your your passion and your comments, but uh, we're going to move on to, you know, the topic of okay. the day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're going to go back to Gracia on uh, on the phone now. Um, I have just one question. I, I There is to be a sweep, and um, I have read about the sweep. The sweep will not just target criminals, and in fact, in the past, it's not only targeted criminals, but has taken people from their jobs and on and on. But my question is, I, my wondering is, what will happen to the economy if we begin deporting millions of people who are doing or dishwashers and cleaning the hotels and doing all of these jobs, my, my wondering is what will happen to the economy when they're gone? And I don't know whether anybody on your panel is, is feels competent to respond to that, but I've, that's something I've, that came up as you were yeah, talking. Yeah, I, I think there'll be, there'll be some comments. William, you have thoughts? Christine? I can only tell you what the statistics I've read, the reports that I've read are, because I am not an economist by any means, but I have read that um, if we, in DACA, as it looks like we might if Congress can't act, that Indiana itself will lose $516.4 million annually in its GDP, and that nationwide... Uh, ending, ending DACA will reduce the Social Security and Medicare contributions by $24 billion. So the, and I don't have the numbers for what the national GDP will lose, but it's, it's going to be significant. And these are 800,000 people that we're talking about. It's a significant number who, are, who will be losing. I totally disagree with that. I think it will allow a lot of these unemployed Americans ages 15 to 36 to, to be employed, and some of the 50 million people that are not in the workforce will be able to join the workforce. So I think it'll balance out. We have a couple of things uh, just from some data that were collected by was collected by our producer before the show. So one thing is DACA recipients have contributed an estimated $2 billion in tax revenue per year, according to the Institution on Taxation and Economic Policy. Um, I think Sarah may have mentioned it before. Bob, just um, you know, I, I certainly get your point, but right now there are six million jobs that remain unfilled in the United States, a record high, despite the DACA recipients being employed. And also there was a great story on, um, noon, on uh, um, All Things Considered last night. I recommended it to people. It was about uh, – it was a, a farmer in Nebraska, a person that ran a meatpacking plant in Nebraska – who's a, a very staunch Donald Trump supporter that says that, you know, he hopes they can work something out because his company would be in deep trouble if uh, people are deported. And we've been seeing statements coming in from Cummins and Eli Lilly and a few others. Is I, I think we should clarify the the caller mentioned, I think, hotel workers, restaurant workers. But it, from the data, everything we've seen, DACA recipients are typically enrolled in higher skilled jobs as opposed to undocumented workers that might be working more Yeah, well, I think it's important to remember that people who have DACA have to have graduated from college or be in the process of getting a GED. They often have gone on to, I mean, not college, high school, I'm sorry. They have to have graduated from high school or be in the process of getting a GED. And many do go on to higher education. So it is a higher educated workforce. And just uh, another DACA requirement, you cannot have been convicted of a felony, a significant misdemeanor, or three or more other misdemeanors, and you uh, don't 
pose any any kind of threat to national security or public safety. Just you know, just to get those facts on the table. Yeah, fifteen hundred immigrants who've had DACA status have been have been canceled due to crime or or gang activity. Mm-hmm. And there's a case no? that was on Fox News recently. Uh, uh, Her- Hermilio Morales killed his 18-year-old classmate, Josh Wilkerson, seven years ago, tortured, beat, strangled, and burned him to death, and his mom, uh, Laura, was on Fox News. So they're they're not all upstanding. That was seven years ago. It was sad. But they were DACA. He was a DACA. Well, DACA was only created five years ago, so that, it's, that wouldn't be possible. But um, you, I'm not going to sit here and say that there's no person who's had DACA who's never committed a crime. But the fact is that if you do have DACA and you do commit a crime or you're convicted of a crime, you lose that status. And you also can't apply for DACA if you have that criminal record. So this is a very narrow and specific group of people that came before June 2007 have been physically present since, have graduated from high school. You know, it's, it's a self-selecting group. Most of them really have contributed much to our society. How much of Trump's decision is based on immigration and how much of it is based on the, I guess, the, the constitutionality of Obama's executive order? It's almost all based on the constitutionality because of the attorney generals from 10 states were bringing a case to declare it invalid and if Trump hadn't done what he did, it would have been off. It could have been off the books because it was the same judge who declared the the parent, the DAPA, illegal. Well, so, so just to step back, the DAPA, which was a, a form of DACA that was for parents, that was not declared unconstitutional. There was an injunction against it that was still pending, and when Trump got rid of DAPA, then it was mooted out. Now, there have been several attorneys general that have brought suit against Trump for ending DACA. There have been two cases in in the past in the Fifth Circuit that challenged DACA, and both of which the courts held were the the person who the the states that brought the cases and the ICE agents that brought the cases did not have standing to challenge it. So there have been challenges to DACA that have failed in the courts. There's never been a ruling on the constitutionality of DACA or DAPA, so we don't know what would have happened. Uh, just to back, back up just a step to Bob's point, uh, wasn't September 5th a particular day? What, can you explain the deadline and what, what that was all That's about? That's the date that these 10 attorney generals were going to file the case. So Trump did his action to stop them from, from doing it, and they would have, it would have rescinded DACA completely. And that way, what Trump did gave a transition. Mm-hmm. and a chance for Congress to pass a law to make it legal. And I, I just wanted to add that, that there's, no, there's no guarantee that it would have been rescinded or anything like that would have happened. In fact, I think it would be very slim possibility that there would have been an injunction since it has been around for five years and many people would have been harmed by it. So I don't think it's clear at all that any case brought on September 5th would have been successful. In fact, I think it would not have been successful. I do think this was completely political. He's been against DACA from the beginning. The fact that he had Attorney General Sessions make the announcement, somebody who's been very against DACA and very against immigration, is pretty telling. In the, and in this President country. Obama said he had 22 times he had no legal authority to do it. All right. Our phone numbers again are 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also send in questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. I want to ask, uh, William, I mean, with uh, Undocu Hoosiers Bloomington, you come in contact with all, all sorts of people, I assume, who are our uh, DACA recipients. I mean, what kind of people are we talking about? So we're talking about um, oftentimes very high achieving high school students, because keep in mind, I attend Indiana University Bloomington. It's a very rigorous institution. Um, so a lot of the students who, one, um, manage to get accepted, two, um, manage to get enough scholarship because they can't receive state or federal scholarship. They need to receive private ones. So they're usually students who 
very much excel um, and also work enough that they can afford even attending an institution of higher education. So we're talking about people who sometimes um, juggle multiple part-time jobs or work full-time while attending school full-time and still manage to keep a very um, high level of grades, you know, close to 4.0 um, while pursuing rigorous coursework in the sciences as well. So we're talking about a very industrious and like excellent group of people that has managed to get this far in the first place as well. Um, and as far as how they're handling this decision, a lot of them are very um, resilient and really um, tough because they've had to be in order to make it this far. So will they be able to continue registering for classes or when could they, can, help me understand, yeah, what this is, how this could play out? So it kind of depends on on the undocumented person, there's prior to DACA existing, there was undocumented people in institutions of higher education. They managed to do it through a multiple, a variety of ways. I myself am not, undo, um, not undocumented. I was born here. I'm a citizen. Um, so I am not familiar with what that looks like, to be honest. Um, and as far as what would happen to them if DACA was ended, a lot of them, if you lose your work permit and they no longer can work legally, they just won't be able to afford attending. Um, if they no longer have um, the work permit, the graduate students who are here, um, who are also a significant part of the population, wouldn't be able to teach classes. You know, and we're talking about some of the like bread and butter classes of higher education. You know, your composition and literacy classes, which are really important, um, as well. Um, your basic science classes for the DACA students who are graduate students in science. So very much these classes that um, in higher institutions of higher education need. So President McRobbie has called on Congress to just immediately codify DACA. From from the university's administrative perspective, what really can they do for students who are in this period of uncertainty? Um, Christine, can you answer that in terms of like legally, what what are the avenues if they if to protect students or to help them? There's no rule that says that if you're undocumented, you can't go to college. So I think that's the undocumented students or DACA students who become undocumented can continue at the university, but it really becomes at that point a question of tuition and whether they can continue to afford it. Now, the university has said various things about whether they're going to protect students from ICE if ICE comes, and so that... You know, that, that might be a concern, but honestly, the people who have DACA are already out of the shadows. ICE already has their information. They're not necessarily at increased risk here at the university for, for having provided that. And Indiana University multiple times has made clear that they would not break the law ever to support undocumented students. Mm -hmm. They're all, always following the books, and that's something they just keep in mind. And just so if I remember right from the story that we had in the, in the newspaper, 24 students on the Bloomington campus are DACA recipients, I believe, and 240-some throughout the Indiana University system, right? So those are estimates. Okay. Those are the estimates. Yeah. And there's okay. also more people with DACA who are also at Ivy Tech, but I don't have the numbers there. Okay. A lot of students start at Ivy Tech and then transfer over to IU to, to cut the tuition. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of phone calls. Uh, let's go uh, first to Greg from Bloomington. Greg? Uh, I wish I could uh, light a little candle of hope here. But uh, basically, I think, uh, you know, there, there are a dozen issues out there as serious as the DACA issue. And the Republican Party, uh, you know, they've had nine months to, to get something done here uh, with the Trump administration. The fact that they've tolerated Trump as their uh, presidential representative is just, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's just incredible. But the Republican Party has been willing to throw the American people under the bus uh, because they refuse to uh, extend health insurance to them. I mean, just by the skin of our teeth, we survived uh, having the Republicans throw out, uh, you know, Obamacare. And if the Republican Party does not care about the American people, do you think they're going to care about immigrants? That's basically my comment. All right, Greg, thanks. Um, Bob, I want to get your reaction. You're, you founded the Grassroots Conservatives. I don't believe Donald Trump was your candidate of choice during the last uh, in the Republican primaries. That is correct. I, correct. I was a supporter right. of Ted Cruz. Right. And I but know after, you did support Trump in the general election. Uh, right. And Absolutely. that I did. Right. And uh, the, the Republican base is very happy 
with what he has done so far, uh, appointing Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, and eliminating a lot of the regulations that were hurting the economy. So the Republican Party is very, and, and conservatives are very supportive of what he's done so far. He's not able to do everything he can because he doesn't have 60 votes in the Senate. And until that rule is eliminated, uh, his hands are tied, and um, they're trying, but they can't, you know, get 60 votes. So that is part of the problem. And um, what he's trying to do is what's best for all Americans, all 320 million Americans, not just for somebody who's an illegal immigrant. He's trying to help all Americans. And just like in the schools, you bring an, an illegal immigrant into the school, who pays for it? The taxpayers, people who pay property taxes. Who's looking out for them? Trump is looking out for them. I want to follow up on that because I think all of this does beg the question because Trump basically lobbed this to Congress. What happens if they don't act, if they can't get something together? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm trying to be optimistic in believing that Congress will come together. There seems to be a lot of bipartisan support this time for the legislation. But Congress does seem to have a problem with getting anything done. So I think it's a good chance that something will not happen. Um, Trump did tweet that he was going to revisit the issue. I don't know what that means. I mean, it, who, who knows? But what happens on March 6th is that um, people who have DACA, they, they start losing their status. And, and that will continue over the next two years. So they'll lose their work authorization. They'll lose their protection from deportation doesn't necessarily mean they'll be a priority for deportation, but as Willie pointed out, most of the people that ICE picks up are collateral arrests. They go and they target one individual, and then they'll pick up 30 other individuals. So there is a risk that somebody who's fallen out of status for DACA will be picked up and put into deportation proceedings. We have another phone call. Dennis from Bloomington. Dennis? Yeah, I'd just like to make a comment on Bob's um claim that all those young Americans would have jobs if the immigrants or the DACA people were gone. Hey, most I've worked in the restaurant business for over 20 years. Most of those young Americans don't want to work, and the immigrants do. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Dennis. If you, We still have about five minutes to go. If you have a question or a comment, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. Outside the Bloomington area, you can also send in questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Um, you know, I shouldn't comment on our callers, but I would just say, you know, not everybody's the same. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of young people that want to work on all sides of this, I suppose. We were talking just a little bit before the call about what might happen if Congress doesn't pass. Is it possible then that Trump might just issue his own executive order? Is that is that not what could, when with him saying he'll revisit it? We have no idea what he's going to do. Nobody knows what he's going to do. I would I would agree with that. I mean, he has issued executive orders this year relating to immigration, such as the travel bans. So it isn't beyond the realm of imagination that he would act in that way. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it, it is a possibility, although I imagine it would not be very popular with his base. Because it would be one executive order essentially replacing another executive order, exactly. which is the crux of the issue. Right. Okay. Bob? Can I make a comment on yeah. the um, economics? Yeah. One sure. thing that happens when you bring in uh, illegal immigrants, it tends to depress the wages. They're willing to take jobs at a lower wage than what an American would take. What did we do in this country 30 or 40 years ago before we had all the Im illegal immigrations? Who, who worked in the meat plants? Who worked in the fields? Who worked in the hotels? We had people that would work, do those jobs. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of those jobs wound up going to Mexico and other places during a... Not in the hotels, not in not the meatpacking plants. That's correct. Okay. Uh, Christine? I just want to point out once more that we're not talking about undocumented immigrants as a whole and whether or not there are depressed wages I think is debatable. But we are talking about a very small and specific group of people that are educated and that tend to take higher paying jobs, not necessarily the restaurant or the farm jobs. Uh, the other point is that even back in the 1980s when there was amnesty then, there, was, there were Mexican workers and Latino workers in, in the farm fields because there's a specific amnesty for agricultural workers in the 1980s. So this is, 
this is not a new problem, if you want to call it a problem, of people working in low-paying jobs. It's, it's always been the case that America has relied on immigrant workers to take those low-paying jobs. I, we have, we have, oh, go ahead. I also want to point out that a lot of the immigrants we're talking about also come from war-torn regions and are actually refugees as well. Mm -hmm. I want to go to an email um, question comment we got that I, I think is for you, Bob, but asking why the issue of the supposed 1,500 criminals was brought up. It seems like a flimsy argument, he writes, um, that we should write off and kick out nearly a million individuals because fewer than 1% of them have a criminal record. I would hope that those opposing DACA would be able to argue on the basis of fact rather than trying to appeal to people's fear and xenophobia. That's from Evan. Well, it shows that we have problems with some of the DACA participants. And we have 800,000 now. Let me ask the group, how, what's the limit? Should we have a million? Should we have 5 million? Should we have 500,000? There's no limit on how many can be in the DACA program. Well, the limit is the number when they set the date of you had to be physically present in the United States, that sort of self-limits. But I would say my opinion is that anybody who is brought here but without choice as a child who grew up here and considers themselves an American uh, should have the opportunity to live just as my own children do and have the same rights and privileges. And I, I think that that befits our country's history of helping people who need humanitarian protection. So we should have open borders, but all these other countries don't. I didn't say that. But that's what it is. Borders. When it's unlimited, it's it's open borders. People well, the, won't come here. Just just to close this out, I mean, there, I'm just going to read the DACA requirements just so we're on the record. Um, DACA requirements were under the age of 31 as of June 15th, 2012, came to the United States before reaching your 16th birthday, have continuously resided in the United States since June 15th, 2007, up to the present time, were physically present in the U.S. on June 15th, 2012, and at that time uh, making uh, your request for consideration of deferred action had no lawful status on June 15, 2012, and there are a couple more. But, you know, th those are the requirements. There are some strict requirements about DACA. We're out of time now. It's been a lively conversation. I want to thank all three of our guests, Robert Hall, William Palomo, and Christine Pop. Uh, for Angelo Batista, Engineer Mike Pashkash, and Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu.